Welcome to Balance Health Now podcast. I had so many chronic health conditions and no one could figure them out. I kept getting told, there's nothing wrong with you. And here's the thing, my labs would always, always come back normal. But I felt horrible. Being so frustrated with not getting answers or solutions, I decided it's time to take back my health. I'm Sydney Torres, a certified functional blood work specialist and certified functional nutrition practitioner. My passion is helping those with unresolved chronic health issues use their normal labs as their own personal roadmap to go from unhealthy to healthy. I don't use labs to diagnose, treat, cure any conditions or disease. I look at labs from a functional point of view. On this podcast, you'll discover what those normal labs really mean. And I also bring on other holistic practitioners and we talk all things health and wellness from A to Z. Discover which healing modality is best for you. I release new episodes every Wednesday. Hope to see you inside. If we don't have our health, then what do we have? This podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure any medical condition. This podcast is intended for educational purposes. If you need medical attention, please seek your practitioner. Hello and welcome. I have a very special guest today, Brian Weinstein. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well, Sydney. Thanks for having me. I just want to say, Brian, thank you so much for being here. And, you know, today our topic is going to be about type 1 diabetes, and it's going to be focused around your personal story um, living with type 1 diabetes. And I just want to say thank you just, just for sharing your story, you know, and just, you know, bringing more awareness um, to this topic. I just want to say I really appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure. It's something that I've lived with for close to 34 years now. So it's something that I have no shortage of topics to discuss. So I'm always ready. <laughs> so before we get started um, talking about um, type one, I just kind of want to learn a little bit more about you. You um, you live in New York. You are a English teacher. So just tell us more about you. Uh, yeah, thank you. Like you said, um, I'm 40 years old. I'm married uh, with my favorite best friend in the world, my dog. Uh, married to my wife. My best friend is my dog, just to be clear. Uh, but yes, uh, I am a middle school teacher, public middle school teacher in New York. I teach English to 12 and 13 year olds. I love it every day and I love it even more in the summer. And uh, I'm a big music fan. I'm a host of my own podcast about the band Fish, P-H-I-S-H, for anyone who listens to them. Uh, it's called Attendance Bias, and I get to interview fans about their favorite shows, which is, you know, my, my it fills my cup, uh, as they say. So that's my favorite thing. I love seeing live music. And uh, yeah, I've been a type 1 diabetic for about, like I said, 34 years or so. So with that being said, how how did you discover that you had um, type 1? I have very vague memories. I did not discover it. My mother figured it out. What I remember is that I was very thirsty and I had to urinate about every 12 seconds. 
it felt like. And again, I was about six years old. I'm 40 now. So the memories are very vague and kind of uh, crystallized. I don't have very clear memories of them. But I remember one night asking my mom for juice and then going to the bathroom, asking for water and going to the bathroom and back and forth until it was very apparent that something was wrong. And the next thing I knew, I was in the hospital uh, being tested for you know everything. And it became pretty obvious that it was type 1 diabetes, which was then called juvenile diabetes. So could you just kind of explain like for everybody listening, because I know a lot of people get confused. There's type 1 and there's type 2. So could you just um, explain the difference between the two? I'll do my absolute best, although I would say to anyone ask a doctor before you listen to me. But my understanding is that type one diabetes, we all have a pancreas in our body that produces insulin, which is a hormone that breaks down any sort of food or liquid that we intake, that it turns it from, you know, whatever it is into energy of sorts and raises the amount of sugar in our blood. And so a type one diabetic like myself, our pancreas is simply stop working. They stop producing insulin, which is why you might see someone taking insulin shots or more likely these days connected to an insulin pump. And so my pancreas is completely defunct. My understanding, and I may get some of these details wrong, so forgive me, is that a type 2 diabetic usually still has a functional pancreas, but due to either genetics, lifestyle, or a combination of other factors, their uh, insulin... Uh, production is not as effective as it should be uh, in a person without type 2 diabetes. So another major difference is that type 1 diabetes is a chronic condition. And for several people I've known who are type 2 diabetics, it is possible to treat and possibly uh, eliminate that uh, condition for type 2, where you can, I don't want to say grow out of it, but you can health your way out of it, so to speak. Um, I cannot do that. Right. So, um, so you're having to, you know, like inject yourself how many times a day with the insulin? Well, when I used to take insulin shots, I'm currently connected to an insulin pump and have been oh. for about nine years. Uh, I was a long holdout for it. I'm very much when I get used to things, I'm very much about, uh, habits. I'm a very habitual routine person. Uh, but I, it's weird because when you take shots, you should, as a type 1 diabetic, you typically have to take one or two shots just to have what's called long-acting insulin, like insulin that keeps your blood sugar at bay, so to speak. It keeps it at a level, at it, the level that it hopefully, hopefully should be. And then you have to, what's called bolus, which means you have to take an injection every time you want to eat something or drink something that may affect your blood sugar. So when I was taking injections, I would take up to maybe five or six per day, depending on my diet for that day. So I'm just kind of like curious, um, just how was that for you as a kid growing up? It was strange, but strangely normal, if that makes sense. I was kind of at the age where I was still learning how to tie my shoes. You know, I was still learning how to, um, I don't know, how, how to lay out my clothing the night before uh, school. I was just starting school, you know, and so when you add this complex medical condition, but also um, upkeep to my routine, I just kind of 
as my memory, my mom might tell it differently, but I kind of took it as as part of the routine. Now I have to learn how to give myself a shot. Now I have to learn how to read a nutrition label and I have to count and do mental math. And to me, it just became as if you had to think about breathing every second. It was just part of my lifestyle. Uh, I had to learn to say no to a lot of things when I was uh, in elementary school and a kid would bring in munchkins. I don't know if they still do that. I'm in middle school and we don't but in elementary school, kids would bring in like cupcakes or munchkins or something to celebrate their birthdays. I would have to pass on that. Uh, but it was to a point where I was so young where I kind of didn't really feel self-conscious for the most part. There were times when it did feel weird when everyone was like lining up at the ice cream man outside. And like, I just kind of had to get gum. Whereas, you know, everyone else was getting a little fun wrestling uh, ice cream bars, like the wrestler ice cream bars. Uh, I had to kind of be a little bit more cautious about that and that kind of has translated to myself as an adult of being a more cautious person in general uh, but also back then i'm talking about the mid to late 80s sugar-free and health conscious food was not nearly as widely available as it is now so whenever kids would have kool-aid or hawaiian punch it was water for me until crystal light came around and that was just iced tea and lemonade so for me that was like a godsend just having two flavors of crystal light that I could drink as much as I wanted and not worry about my blood sugar. So it became a lot of coping mechanisms, although at the time I wouldn't have used that term because I was so young. Right. So, you know, I, I couldn't even imagine how challenging that must have been, you know, like as a small child and not being able to partake in kind of like you said, like the ice cream man, because I can remember growing up we would be, my sister and I, we would be inside and we would hear the, the music for the ice cream truck. And oh my gosh, like we would run and like grab our little piggy banks and we'd be shaking them upside down. And we, like, we would run outside and like every other kid, you just see like all of a sudden those massive kids, you know, like trying to buy ice cream. So I know that just like I said, must have been really challenging. So now that you have lived through that experience, what maybe one piece of advice would you give to maybe like a teenager? Like what would you say to like your younger self for advice? Oh, that's a good question. Um, a piece of advice I would give a teenager would be it's definitely going to get better and what I mean by it is the ability to control and track your health because when I look at medical technology from where I was uh, even from my teenage years even from when I was 12 or 13 to where I am now I'm living a completely different world and completely different life in terms of my diabetic health uh, when I was first diagnosed to check what my blood sugar level was, there was what was called the AccuCheck 2. And it was about the size of a small Bible, this blood sugar checking machine. You had to have a lancet, which is a tiny needle. You had to uh, puncture your fingertip, draw quite a big drop of blood. Um, and I could feel myself squeezing my finger now as if I'm doing it. Uh, drop it onto a strip, press a button, have the button count down from 60, wipe off the blood from the strip, put the strip in the machine, press the button again, wait another 60 seconds, and it would tell you what your blood sugar was. 
now I'm living in a world where I have a sensor attached to my uh, my abdomen that via Bluetooth, it takes my blood sugar every five minutes and tells me on my phone what my blood sugar is and alerts me if it's above or below a certain level. So if I could go back, I would love to tell someone or tell someone now, assuming that this trend continues, that medical technology is your friend and in 15 years, it's going to be a completely different world because even though it seems slow day to day, when you look back in the big picture, you know, it, health rates or even uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, lifespan for people with type 1 diabetes has increased tremendously. And that's just in my lifetime. And I'm only 40. Yeah, I must say, like the technology has come very far because I do remember you know, being younger and having not, or just seeing people use the um, the old style. And now they have like these continuous glucose monitors where yes, it is sent to your phone. And I, I think that's amazing. And I think it's, I think it's wonderful. It just makes life so much easier and just simple. You know, it's, everything is just simplified. It does. It's simplified, but it depends on the personality also, because it could lead to which is a bigger issue with our world and our lifestyle in general of too much information sometimes. You know, my mother, for example, who always had to worry about me is the way she would tell it, but she always did. She's an anxious person. And the uh, the insulin pump and the sensor, the CGM that I have now, you could share it with someone, which is meant for that exact purpose. So a kid at school can share his blood sugar readings wirelessly with a parent at home or at work. So the parent can kind of get real-time advice or uh, data from that sort of machine. But if you're the type of person who has to check your email every 10 seconds because you're worried about what you might miss, a CGM like that might do you more harm than good. But then that veers into the field of mental health. And I know that's not necessarily what we're here to discuss. Right. Um, so, Brian, I want to ask you if you could just kind of like talk a little bit about your journey, just having to learn how to like go grocery shopping, what you do when you eat out, um, learning how to read nutrition labels. Um, I just want to hear like more about how you navigate those um, daily things. Sure. It's uh, it's become so routine. First, before I talk about all of that, I want to give a shout out to a camp that I went to, a summer camp called Camp Joslin, J-O-S-L-I-N, which is located in Charlton, Massachusetts, which is a summer camp designed specifically for boys with diabetes. And there's also a sister camp, uh, Clara Barton Camp, and they're you know, matched together, but they do the same thing. And it was a sort of place, you know, when, when I say diabetes camp, I'm sure people who don't know diabetics have strange images in their heads, but it's really just a regular summer camp where you play soccer or baseball or go on a scavenger hunt or, what you know, what have you, arts and crafts, that sort of stuff. But they also teach you about an hour or half hour before every meal how to check your blood sugar, how to measure an insulin dose, how to do your best to mentally calculate how much insulin do you have to take for what you're going to eat at that meal. And then you get meal cards that have a certain amount of uh, starches, a certain amount of vegetable servings, a certain amount of fruit servings. And you, through routine and through uh, camaraderie, you know, seeing other people do it, because I didn't know any other type one diabetics, that kind of made me feel like it was normal to read a, uh, 
uh, nutrition label or to kind of pause a little bit and calculate in my head how much insulin I have to take before I eat X, Y, Z. Something you brought up that is a bit of a challenge is when I eat out. And when I go to, say, extended holidays like Thanksgiving, where you're not just only sitting down for one quick meal, where it's kind of noshing all day. Uh, and that that's kind of trial and error. But my best advice and the best thing that I've learned from that is to do your best guess and, you know, let the chips fall where they may, because things fingers crossed, are never going to go as horrible. You know, at worst, you'll have a high blood sugar and you'll have to treat it with insulin. At worst, you'll have a low blood sugar and you'll have to eat some carbs or some sugar. Um, Don't limit yourself, but keep yourself within common sense is the best I would say. Um, It was trial and error because I look like you said, I live in New York. And so out here, when you eat out, there's a tremendous amount of preservatives and fat and salt in almost anything you order from a restaurant. And so that messes with your blood sugar and messes with how your body digests that food. So typically I have to bolus, which is when you take a large dose of insulin, I have to bolus more than I would if I cooked that similar kind of chicken cutlet, let's say at home, because I know what went into my kitchen but I don't know what goes on in the kitchen of a restaurant. Interestingly, when I was on vacation a couple of years ago in Portland, Oregon, I kept uh, bolusing for an extreme amount of fat and carbohydrates because that's what I'm used to when I eat out here in New York. And my blood sugar kept crashing and I couldn't figure it out until the end of the vacation when I realized and spoke to a chef who came out to say hello for whatever reason that the food back uh, back west, or at least in Portland, it was was just much more pure farm to table stuff. So there were such fewer preservatives and uh, unidentifiable, I guess I would say to me, uh, ingredients in it. So you kind of have to roll with the punches and figure out as you go. It's tough. It's tough sometimes. You know, I'll never ever ever solve Chinese food or pizza. So what? Um... Just out of curiosity, what is your favorite meal that you like to cook at home? Oh, I love, um, I like to make a really good turkey meatloaf. That's one of my favorites. And I love anything in a crock pot. Crock pot chili, the fall's rolling around right now. It's crock pot season. Uh, I make a really good butternut squash soup that I always bring to Thanksgiving with my family, all that stuff. Anything in a crock pot, I love to cook and make because I just love the house filling up and smelling so good. Uh, But on a more shorter notice, I make a pretty good turkey with meatloaf. Ooh, that sounds good. I I, like, I'll be over for that butternut squash. Come on over. Oh, that sounds like so delicious. Cause like where I'm living, it's starting to just get, I could tell the weather is changing. So yeah, like- that warm, delicious soup, you know, so hearty and delicious. Just a little bit of creme fraiche on top, just a little bit. Exactly. So I just want to kind of like talk about or hear your experience. What are some of the things that you have just encountered um, with other people or different situations that you just want to make the public aware of? Like, you know what? please don't do X, Y, and Z just because I am a type one diabetic? That's a great question because it's a very thin line as an answer. Uh, I always like when people ask me, is it all right 
if I cook this or is it all right? Uh, are you allowed to have that? And it kind of gets on my nerves because I'm a little sensitive to be treated differently, but I know it always comes from a good place. So at the same time, I'm a Libra, so I got to balance it out. I feel all right with it because I know someone's asking me those questions just out of concern and out of consideration. And it happens so frequently. Anyone who knows I'm diabetic, you know, when I was a little kid, they would ask, oh, is caffeine-free soda all right? Like it really got to that point where people were so less informed that they didn't know. Um, if I would ask people now not to do something, I would say, don't ever ask a diabetic, quote, are you allowed to have that? Or should you have that? Please don't question their judgment, um, unless literally they're your child and it's your right to do so. Uh, but if it's a friend you're having over for dinner or a coworker you're going out to lunch with, please don't comment on what they're eating uh, based on your knowledge of what diabetes is because they know already being a type one diabetic it's it's kind of like a lifelong thing and it's really made me turn on my patience level like i really just have to understand that when i take insulin my blood sugar is not going to plummet immediately it's not that type of medication where like tylenol where 15 minutes later your headache kind of subsides uh it's really made me engage my best version of myself in terms of patience and understanding. And maybe that's why I'm a middle school teacher. Maybe I'm just making that connection now. Maybe that's how I've developed that part of my personality. But I think that's it. It's just as a diabetic, it's just something I've learned to deal with and try to keep it in as even keel as possible and do, really done my best not to panic. I'm human, of course. I freak out when things go wrong. Um, but I've been lucky enough that I've never really been in a situation that I couldn't solve, whether or not without difficulty, never in a situation where I couldn't solve. So when you find yourself in like those sticky situations, how do you kind of like pivot and to get out of that certain situation? I just kind of go through the what needs to be done first. And that's it. Uh, for example, I had a friend over visiting this summer and near my neighborhood in Queens, there's a neighborhood called Flushing, Flushing Meadows. And it's kind of a Pan-Asian neighborhood. It's kind of like the bigger Chinatown of New York City. It's much better for restaurants. And I took him out. I was very excited to take him to a place that has great soup dumplings. If you want to talk about great things to eat when you go out and things that make your blood sugar difficult to manage, soup dumplings, Xiao Long Bao. And when I bolused, when I took my insulin for it, I felt a little bit of dampness on my abdomen and I lifted up my shirt and looked and my sight that connects from the insulin pump to my body was a little bit loose, which it should never ever be. And it was soaking, which meant that my insulin was not being absorbed. It was not being put into my body. And when I'm about to eat this very starch heavy, rich food with rice on the side, uh, I didn't want to panic. I didn't want to freak out, but I knew in my head at the same time, this can't maintain, this is untenable. So I explained to my friend exactly what was going on. I said, look, we'll eat our dinner, but I don't think we should order anything more. And right when we're done, we'll ask for the check when the food comes and we'll just have to go. And he was very understanding. And I think most people, if you explain yourself uh, in a situation like that, when you kind of play the diabetes card, if you have to, where you invoke that your health may be at risk, just about everyone I've met in that sort of unfortunate situation is very understanding and accommodating. So just do what you have to do if needed. 
So how did you get it fixed? Like, did you, you had to go to your doctor and they just oh, no. reapply no. it or? No, these are, these are things that are delivered to me. These are, I could change it right now in front of you if I oh, needed to. This okay. isn't like a procedure. It's okay. just, um, it's the modern day equivalent of giving myself a quick injection. Oh, okay. I got it. I got it. I just didn't happen to have any of those extra replacement parts on me in my pocket at the time. I try to have one at all times. I just forgot. So I have one final question for you. And that question is, if you could tell somebody one thing, and that one thing could be anything in the world, one thing that they can do for their health, what would that one thing be? Read nutrition labels and don't eat stuff with a lot of words you can't recognize on the ingredients. Uh, that, you know, I remember when I was really little, go to circle back and to kind of go full circle. Uh, when I was first, when I was really little and I was first learning to read nutrition labels, I was probably seven at this point or eight years old. And a Taco Bell just opened in my town. And everyone was so excited to go try this new place, Taco Bell. And at the time they sold Choco Tacos to go back to the ice cream man, right? And I remember when I was little, I had just come back from my first summer at Camp Jaslin. And before I ordered a Choco Taco, I looked, I asked if I could look at the label and they never had anyone do that. So they brought out the box and I looked at it and I said out loud, this is poison. And like, it just for an eight-year-old to say that out loud was to them so odd. But I would just recommend... Everyone, no matter what health condition or non-condition, just know what you're eating before you eat it or drink it. So I I, I actually have a follow-up question. Okay. So when you're looking at that nutrition label, what exactly are you looking for? First, I go to carbohydrates because the amount of insulin that I take is almost entirely based on the number of carbohydrates in the food or the drink. After that, I look for sugars, like in grams, and because sometimes things that are low fat uh, or low carb sometimes have high sugar amounts in them and vice versa. Sometimes if it's low fat, it's high sugar. If it's low sugar, it's high fat. And if it doesn't have either, it probably doesn't taste very good is what I found. Uh, but yeah, I usually go for carbohydrates, then sugars, and then ingredients. Okay. Well, I just want to say I appreciate you like so much just for being open. First of all, I appreciate that. And just for just sharing your story. And if people want to listen to your podcast, like I want to learn a little bit more about your podcast. So it sounds really, really, really interesting. So please. Okay. Thank you. Uh, well, my podcast is called Attendance Bias, two words, and it is almost exclusive, it's exclusively about fans of the band Fish, P-H-I-S-H, the jam band, who, yes, they're still playing. And if a lot of people who like Fish love Fish, and when they go see a lot of their live shows, they tend to have, whether you call them spiritual, religious, personal, meaningful, or interesting stories or experiences at these shows, my podcast is for them to come on, tell their stories, and give a little background about the show that they attended. And it's more of a storytelling podcast than a music podcast, but if you like the Ben Fish, it helps. But if you don't, I think that there are ways that you could still enjoy it. And it's available you know, everywhere that podcasts are found. 
Okay, perfect. So please be sure to check out Brian's podcast. And um, again, everybody, thank you for listening and stay well.